1: Travelcast Halloween Special, Episode 262. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your ghost, Norm Sherman. Well, another year, another Travelcast Halloween Special. Another night, sitting around, eating candy straight from the bag and ignoring the goddamn doorbell. Just another tradition I like to celebrate called, F*** you, I paid for it. You brats, get off my lawn! Boo, humbug. That's right, folks. I'm just not feeling it this year. It's just more of the same. Just more dudes dressed like Heath Ledger or Jack Sparrow. More chicks dressed up as slutty anything. Slutty nurse, slutty Chilean miner, slutty ninja turtle. You really wanna dress up like a slutty ninja turtle? Lose the clothes and wear a colored bandana, skank. That's all they had on. You ain't half the hoe bag Donatello was, honey. It all blurs together. I can't even tell the difference between them anymore. It's like watching a Tyler Perry movie, you know? They all look the same. The movies, I mean, not the, the, you know, the, oh, whatever, I'm not racist. I don't even have skin for Coulter's sake. Oh, there you go. Got me using the Dark Lord's name in vain again. Halloween has just gotten so watered down and lame lately with all this safety precaution and freaking out about homicidal psychopaths. I heard some parents are actually starting to give raisins out to trick-or-treaters instead of candy. Raisins. There's a time and a place for raisins, folks. And it's never and in the trash. Go ahead, offer a trick-or-treater raisins and see just how excited the little brat gets. Any kid that acts thrilled to get a raisin for Halloween, well there's your future homicidal psychopath, folks. Check the little bastard's closet at home, ten bucks says there's a shrine of small animal heads in the corner. Go ahead and throw that child into the back of your large, unmarked white van along with all the other raisin-loving troublemakers already back there. And go off into the woods somewhere where they can't trouble society any longer. Voila! No more homicidal psychopaths. But yeah, I suppose I'll just phone it in along with everybody else this year. Sorry folks, happy hollow, whatever, here's a story or something. Norm. What? What was that? No. Oh, cut the crap. You can't scare people who are already dead. You ever tried robbing a Kinko's? It's me, former colleague and
0: Drabblecast co-editor Kindle, appearing before you from Beyond the Veil.
1: Oh, it's about time. Our slush pile is out of control. You wouldn't believe the enormous pile of just heinously awful genre fiction that I need you to read ASAP.
0: Alas, Norm, I cannot return back to hell until I've spoken these words of warning that I have been sent to deliver. Oh? I too was once like you, hating on Halloween and Tyler Perry movies, and... Being incredibly racist. I'm not racist. (laughs) You thought Chris Rock and Chris Tucker were the same person until, what, 2009?
1: Well, that's because they're both
0: named Chris. (laughs) Yeah. I came to warn you, Norm, not to lose the spirit of Halloween, or you might become like me, forever wandering the earth, a restless phantom of the shadows.
1: Yes, whatever, Kendall. duly noted. Anything else?
0: Yes. You're giving ghost hand jobs pretty much every day that you don't even know about. I can't even begin to guess how many at this point. Wait a second. What? Well, I want to say it's a lot, but I'm not really sure how much a lot is for for someone like you. Wait, ghost hand jobs? What? Don't worry. I shouldn't have even mentioned that. Goodbye, Norm. Wait, wait. Come on.
2: Now what? Hi, Norm. I'm the ghost of Halloween past. Oh
1: god, seriously?
2: I'm here to remind you of what Halloween used to mean to you. Or something. Look around you, Norm. Look where you are.
1: Why, that's my bedroom. And that's me in bed. That's Father standing beside me, tucking me in. But why am I crying? Why am I so scared? Well, son. I don't know what else to tell you. I'd like to tell you that everything's gonna be okay, but let's be honest. We're dealing with a closet that has a goddamn monster in it. (laughs) Why? It's. it's proper parenting. My dad's not being a Penzi ass bitch. Instead, he's teaching me not to be one.
2: Remember when Halloween was the one day of the year when your parents would let you go out and do the two things that they always said would absolutely kill you? Staying out after dark and taking candy from complete strangers?
1: You mean before daytime trick-or-treating and all these ridiculous safety considerations? Running free, the constant thrill of being raped, robbed, or poisoned, always nipping at your heels?
2: Back then, eating a bag of candy corn was like a fun game of Russian Roulette, where it was anybody's guess which piece had the razor in it. Maybe none?
1: Must be hard fitting a razor blade inside a piece of candy corn.
2: Maybe all? Practice makes perfect. Halloween used to be a time when functional alcoholics and dangerous lunatics from all lurchings of life could come together and scare the shit out of absolutely everyone, no matter what. Why look out that window just over there. Is that my
1: old next-door neighbor, old man Applegate, packing cyanide
2: into fudge? Hey, that's not where cyanide goes. Look over there in his driveway. It's... Johnny Darrington, that mean
1: old bully from grade seven. Why is he throwing toilet paper on the lawn and smearing poop on old man Applegate's front door?
2: Doesn't seem very resourceful, does it? Maybe he's being ironic. But why? Well, Norm, because the calendar says October 31st. Those two have both been looking forward to this for months.
1: Wait, are you saying old man Applegate's going to poison Johnny Darrington's fudge?
2: Whoa, no, let's not go jumping to any he-said-she-said conclusions about who wants to do what to that little Darrington boy's fudge. But yeah, he's he's gonna poison the shit out of that kid.
1: And you're just going to sit idly by while some disruptive snot-nosed seventh grader gets poisoned by some crazy old coot?
2: Norm... You ever think about the type of person who would want to put cyanide in fudge? The type of person who'd actually want to make something already bizarrely confusing like candy corn even more puzzling and convoluted by adding razor blades? Who out there could possibly dislike children enough to endure all the hassle and rigmarole of anonymously eliminating them one by one each year with needlessly small half-sized candy bars? With arsenic in them. Parents, Norm. Parents. Have a little empathy. But I don't have any kids. <laughs> ah, but they seem so lovely. Time to hit the present. Hi, Norm, I'm the ghost of Halloween present. But you look the same as the last ghost. Yeah, I heard you were totally racist. No, I, I just... They tell me I'm supposed to show you around modern-day Halloween or whatever, convince you that some things have changed for the better, while tactfully neglecting to remind you of the countless aspects that have unfortunately faded into eternal extinction. Ah, oh, f-
1: No, it's fine. Heath Ledger, slutty turtles, I get it.
2: Do you? Because by the board stiff way you just said, slutty turtles right there, I'm thinking you might not fully appreciate one of the best things about Halloween present Ninja turtles? Exactly. You see, real turtles don't wear anything, even when it's cold as a motherfucker outside. They're totally naked. That purple bandana Donatello wears on his face? It's basically lingerie. Turtle lingerie. The only thing separating him from all the other naked turtles out there. Well, the bo-staff. Halloween uses the same formula as the internet norm. You've already seen the people acting like assholes and kids getting access to stuff they shouldn't and otherwise never would have part. Now let's talk about anonymity mixed with sexual depravity. Check, please. Who cares if costumes all look basically the same and are only separated by primary colors these days? It's a holiday, dude. And without those costumes, turtles are just turtles, skanks are just skanks, and they're all just... Naked. Hmm. God, I'm awful at this. Shittiest ghost ever, sorry. No, hey, it's... I'm just... Y- just God, just... No, it's... Just go on to the future or something.
1: Well, now, come on. I- Leave, Leave me! me!
2: Hi, Norm, I'm the ghost of Halloween yet to come. And I'm from the future, so you couldn't possibly have ever seen me before. You racist dick.
1: Oh, seriously?
2: Look around you, Norm. This is the future of Halloween, if you continue to just... phone it in. But
1: why are all those children unconscious and hooked to machines?
2: Cause it's the year 2190 norm, and that's where we hook children now. You see, in the year 2013, people decided to just start mailing each other candy on Halloween. It was safer than trick-or-treating, you didn't have to waste money on stupid costumes, and fat kids no longer had to face the threat of hills or inclines while forging for sugar in the wild. But then, in 2015, when email finally killed the United States Post Office, parents decided to just dim the lights, put on Michael Jackson's Thriller, and hook their children into sucrose IVs for the night. As time went on, intravenous sugar infusion technology got more and more advanced, and before you knew it, machines had become sentient and revolted, harvesting all that sugar-induced child hyperactivity as energy to fuel their massive deadly weapons of war against all mankind. Kinda sucks.
1: Okay, okay, I've seen enough. You can take me back.
2: Are you sure? You just got here, stick around. National Treasure 184 just came out in theaters.
1: Dear God, really? That's horrible. But how the hell is Nicolas Cage still making movies?
2: I don't know, Norm. I just don't know.
1: Okay, fine. I suppose if anything, just to prevent a dismal future of Skynet post-apocalypse, we'll do this right again this year. Starting off with a hundred-word story. Trouble. This week's Drabble is called Trolling, and it comes to us from Jeff Johnston. Jeff lives in Canada with his wife, daughter, and two cats. When he's not churning out Drabbles at the blistering pace of two or three a year, he collects and restores old radio shows. Jeff's favorite source of oldies is the Internet Archive at archive.org, where you can also find video classics like Reefer Madness and VD is for Everybody. The night was hot, and one leg dangled limply. A clawed hand slid out from under the bed and seized it by the ankle. As expected, the leg jerked away, and the thing under the bed tightened its grip. Yellow, jagged fingernails sank into the flesh, and a wet, burbling chuckle came up from the darkness. But when the leg jerked again, the thing under the bed found itself being yanked out and up, Enraged, it jumped, snarling to its feet. But as it whirled about, the snarl died away. It saw what had been holding the severed leg. leads us to this week's story, an interesting nod to the patron saint of weird fiction, H.P. Lovecraft, called My True Lovecraft Gave to Me, by Eric Liss. Eric lives in Montreal, Canada, where he practices psychiatry at the Jewish General Hospital. His work has appeared in Weird Tales, On Spec magazine, and the Journal of Psychiatry and Neuroscience. Look for his new story, "The Day Pattion Fnordseeker Seeker Gave Up Drinking," in the medieval fantasy-themed anthology Swords of Chaos Hecaton, set to be released by Skirmisher Publishing in November. And so. Without further ado, we bring you My True Lovecraft Gave to Me, by Eric Liss. Dear Mr. Kugelmacher, This letter is to inform you of my resignation. As you know, I have spent the last 15 years of my life working in your department store, from the age of 12 when I was hired as a stock boy, to my years spent in the jewelry department, to my time in management. I have loved working here, and I am very sorry to leave, but I fear that if I remain any longer, my health and my sanity will be forfeit. Perhaps if I explain the events of the last two weeks, it will become clearer why I have to quit. It all began some twelve days ago, when Mr. Austin, one of your regular customers, came to the store. Because I happened to be on the floor at the time, I walked over to him to say hello and ask if I could help him. Mr. Austin had something of a manic air about him and animatedly told me that he had conceived the perfect holiday gift. I remember smiling at him in a friendly and encouraging manner, as this sounded quite profitable and assured him that we would almost certainly have whatever it was he was looking for. What did he ask me to show him, you may ask? The pets department, of all places. More bemused than perplexed, I walked there with him, where he spent some minutes examining the birds before proclaiming that we did not have the right type. "'We have a fine selection of birds, as one would expect from your store— "'parrots, budgies, canaries, cockatiels, finches, macaws, and even pigeons that month. "'But Mr. Austin insisted that only one type of bird would do—a partridge.' "'I immediately saw my error. "'Clearly he was looking for something to serve at a meal, and not a pet, despite his initial request. "'Why else would someone wish to buy a pheasant at the holidays?' Well, we had no pheasant in stock in our food department, but because he was a long-timer and loyal customer, I arranged with ordering that they would procure him some quails, which he seemed to feel would be sufficiently close. It would be expensive for us to order the twelve quails he says that he absolutely must have, but that is what we do as a quality shop. I later overheard that on his way out he had stopped in gardening and purchased some twelve pyrus communis saplings. At the time, I took the recurrence of this number to be a coincidence, but in retrospect, I see this was too much to hope for. The very next day, Mr. Austin returned. He had a haggard look to him, but the same manic energy. I again greeted him and asked what I might help him with, and to my confusion, he again asked to see the pets department and the birds. He became extremely agitated after looking through the wares. Without explaining what he was looking for, denying only that he was looking for more quails, he asked me to take him to the food department once more. When we got there, he asked if he could order Streptopelia turtur. Imagine my shock. "'Here was this gentleman asking our food department to order doves for him. "'Well, this simply would not do. "'I asked if he might be happy with some pigeons, "'and he considered it and said he would need twenty-two of them. "'I confess I was speechless.' Sensing that perhaps logic was not Mr. Austin's first priority, I led him to the book department, where I took up an encyclopedia and looked up Streptopelia turtur to see if I could find something similar we might provide him, and to my good fortune, the solution was in the book department itself. I sent him home with twenty-two copies of Down in the Bottomlands and imagined, indeed hoped, that I had seen the last of him. The very next day, however, Mr. Austin was back. He looked haggard and disheveled, as though he had not slept, and it appeared that he might be wearing the very same clothes which, on reflection, he had wore to the store the previous two days. This time I made certain I was the first employee to reach him, not to say hello, but for fear of what new strangeness he would ask. My fears were allayed, fortunately, when he said simply that he was here to order some chickens. This made sense, at least. Quails, even twelve of them, would not feed a large dinner, as I had decided Austin planned to host for the holiday. Even when he had required thirty of them, I merely smiled and nodded and ensured that he pay in advance, and hustled him out of the store as quickly as possible. "'On his way out, though, Mr. Austin paused as though deep in thought "'and asked us if we'd sold blackbirds. "'I apologized and said we did not, and to lighten the moment "'asked if perhaps he wanted four and twenty of them baked into pies. "'He replied that no, raw would be fine, "'which somehow left me chilled to the marrow.' He did not return the next day, but did the day following, his clothes torn, his face covered in scratches, and several black feathers stuck to the bottom of his shoe. Seeing that he was drawing stares from other customers, I hurriedly took him to the jewelry department, sold him the 40 gold rings he insisted on purchasing and very nearly clearing out of stock, might I add, and sent him off home as quickly as I possibly could. From this point on, the situation rapidly degraded. I made certain that I was by the main entrance every day at precisely the same time, so that when Mr. Austin arrived, as he invariably did, I could meet him and bring him around to the side of the store, where he would not upset the other customers. To tell the truth, though it goes against my every instinct as a merchant, I very nearly sent him away when he showed up on that sixth day, reeking and dirty, asking us to provide him with no fewer than forty-two live geese. But he paid in cash, and who am I to say how many birds he needs to feed his guests during the holidays? Perhaps he's preparing food for a hundred men, I thought, or donating fifty meals to orphanages. Conscious of everything you had taught me, sir, I persuaded him to accept frozen geese together with eight cartons of eggs, took his money, and sent him home. Before he left, I suggested that he could meet at the side door for any future purchases he wanted to make. To which he happily agreed the next day we were closed for the sabbath i returned home and my day had no further disturbances to my peace and quiet until i sat down with the evening paper on the fifth page of which was a story about the carcasses of birds that were being found around the town blackbirds a few days ago all the swans in the park this morning Surely this had nothing to do with Mr. Austin, I told myself, but I did not truly believe. How much longer could it go on, I asked myself. When we opened the store again on Monday, Mr. Austin arrived at the same time as always. He had changed clothes since I last saw him, though he wore his Sunday best, and I suspect he had been wearing it since at least the day before. I was quite prepared for some ridiculous bird-related request, but he instead placed an order with our catering services for forty-two waitresses to serve coffee at his holiday dinner. This I arranged happily, thinking perhaps his sanity was returning. When he returned the next day asking if we could provide live dancers for his dinner, flabbergasted, I committed the gravest sin of a shopkeeper and sent him off to another merchant. I do not know where he ended up going, but I checked the paper the next morning in case the carcasses of any young ladies had been found in the parks, and to my relief there was no such stories. The next day, Mr. Austin did not come to the store, and I both hoped and feared that he had decided to take all future business elsewhere. I know now that he was merely busy with other matters. As the papers of that eleventh morning reported, and as you no doubt heard yourself, that day saw a string of suicides, some thirty of the town's most respected bankers and businessmen throwing themselves from their offices within hours of each other. Some speculated that there had been a crash of some secret underground stock market, but I feared another explanation— The day before the holiday, there was again no sign of Mr. Austin. This upset me more than if I had seen him, as up to now the least upsetting of his activity seemed to occur on days when he came to the store. Indeed, that night, the news reported that during the day, several clubs and coffee houses were attacked by individuals no one seemed able to identify, leaving a trail of property damage and injured youths, and some 22 young musicians were reported missing. The progression of numbers, of course, matched exactly, and the next day, another 12 musicians were unable to be found. The pattern had come full circle, and I believed that whatever final horror Mr. Austin had been building towards would culminate that night. From our delivery department, I obtained Mr. Austin's home address, and as the sun set, I drove to his spacious Brownwood Victorian Manor. There was a strange chill about the place, even beyond the normal winter's cold, and as I crept towards the house, strange lights danced in the windows." I approached as close as I dared, sneaking up to the great bay window so that I could look in on the ballroom. I cannot fully describe the horrors I saw in that room. The unearthly flashes of color, the strange energies in the air, the grayish frost which was forming on the insides and not the outsides of the windows. I did not count, but from patterns of Mr. Austin's numbers, I knew that I saw 34 men playing pipes and drums, and some 76 dancing women. I could hear the strange sounds their instruments made, and it was no sound I would call music, but rather a sound akin to the wailing of the damned. Above it all towered that which I shall never forget. A veritable mountain composed of the corpses of all manner of birds, some still obviously frozen, and others clearly having long since begun to rot, and the whole pile was moving, moving under its own power, as though the pile of dead flesh was some horrid living thing. I watched, numb and unable to take my eyes away from the scene as the meat thing grasped poor Mr. Austin in one glistening appendage and tore him to bits with its countless beaks, all while the musicians played and the women danced a dance that I am sure did not originate on this world, bending their limbs in places where they had no joints. I have only scattered flashes of memory of what happened next. I had brought with me from the shop several large canisters of gasoline and some magnesium flares. I must have smashed down the great bay window and thrown in the gasoline, because my next memory is running breathless away from the house, the heat of roaring flames at my back, the screams of the burning meat thing echoing, not in my ears, but in my very skull, drowning out not merely all noise but the very idea that any other noise could exist. I remember casting a single glance behind me, and seeing the meat thing writhing in flames in what I hope was agony, bizarrely counterpointed by the musicians and dancers, who, though aflame, continued their own merry party oblivious, the dancers falling only when they had not enough muscle left to hold them up, the musicians still moving their hands up and down, even though their drums had burned away. I think, I hope, I pray, That I saw the meat thing fall, not to rise again. The next thing I recall, it was the next morning, and the sun was streaming in through my bedroom window. As you no doubt read in the papers, more than seventy people died in a great fire which consumed the home of Mr. Austin that night, and the police could not explain why they found evidence of accelerants, but that no one had tried to flee the Holocaust even though every door and every window seemed to have been unlocked. And so, sir, I hereby resign. I believe that if I return to your store, I will spend every day for the rest of my working life, fearing, perhaps even expecting, Mr. Austin to walk through the front door again, eager to make some new purchase. I see horrors everywhere I look now, and I shall never be able to erase the sight of the burning meat thing from my memory. I have seen the horrors which lurk beyond. Furthermore, I cannot come to work for you again, having broken two of the sacred rules of our profession. I stole merchandise, and I perhaps killed a valued regular customer. I honestly do not believe that being merely torn apart ended his life, you see. Thus, confident that you will not believe a word I have written here, I thank you for your years of employing me, and I bid you a fond farewell. our story. Hope you enjoyed. I'll never hear that awful Christmas song the same way again. It makes too much sense. You don't have to get us all that nonsense this Halloween. A simple donation will do to keep our little podcast going. A monetary donation, of course. Although I can't really see us turning down 36 dancing maids, either. Hit up Drabblecast.org and find support options off the top of the page. We really appreciate your generosity. Let's go now to our 100-character story winner this week, hand-picked from our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org, where we regularly select a winning story each week, tweet it out early on our Twitter feed, at the thedrabblecast, and run it at the end of the show. This week, knocking it out with another win for the second week in a row, is Algernon Sidney is dead with this one. The heroine of the story was a caretaker at a cemetery. The character was not well-received, but she kept the plot intact. Wop-wop. In a good way. Follow us on Twitter at The Travelcast, or join our Facebook groups. We like making new pals. So that's our show. Remember, the Travelcast is produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, but feel free to share it all you like. Special thanks to our guest ghosts at the beginning, ex-Travelcast editor Kendall Marchman, and buddy of mine Ken Jordan. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Rodolfo Arrandondo. Rodolfo works in both traditional and new media, utilizing both his left brain and right brain. To view a portfolio of his work and perhaps contact him, visit darkmirror.org. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you...
2: It's basically lingerie. Turtle lingerie.